thank you so much. And thank you, everybody that came. I really did appreciate your support, so thank you. How are we? Are we well? Good. It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? I love being in the house of God together with you all. Well, Pastor Melissa and Jacob are still away. They're midway through their break. Um, so we're just praying they are resting. They've managed to unwind and rest, and they're just really being refreshed in the Lord. And we do look forward to seeing them in about three weeks. Now, before I get into the word, I just want to quickly run through our announcements. Um, prayer and worship slide. Have we got up there, Mel? I've just forgot the date. Wednesday, the 19th, 19th of October. We have our prayer and worship night. This is held at the um, Everyday Hub around the corner. And we would love, this is open to everybody. We would love as many people there as possible just to come together, just to give our praises to God and really seek him in prayer for, for his heart, for this church, for this community. Amen. So if you can come along, please, please come. Um, and then um, just to let you know about our growth groups, um, they are on break at the minute. You, you will have got that email. Our growth groups are on break at the moment, but they're starting again on the 11th of October. Have we got the, the growth group slide up there, Mel? We're starting, th we're starting back on the 11th of October, our growth groups. And this term, we're going to be delving into... Um, um, a new topic on evangelism. So it's going to be really, really good, guys. We've got videos. We've got um, worksheets to go through. Um, so it's, it's going to be really interesting. If you're not in a growth group, really encourage you to get along. We have um, amazing growth group leaders, Amanda and Paul, Diane, um, me and Rob. <laughs> that didn't come out right, did it? But anyway, get along. Um, They're the, the really good nights. Okay. Are we ready to get into the word of God? Don't worry, Mel. That's okay. Can we just pray for a moment together? Thank you, Lord. Lord, just for the honor it is to gather in your name, Father. Thank you for your church, Lord. This community of believers coming together. We just take a moment now, Father, just to center ourselves on you, Lord. Take whatever's been before us this week, Lord, that we just lay that to the side. Whatever we might be worrying about, stressing about, whatever it's been, we just lay that to the side in this moment, Lord, and we just fix our eyes back on you, Jesus, back on you. We align our hearts to you now, Father, to receive your word, your word of life and truth. And Lord, I just pray that less of me and more of you, Father, less of me and more of you. In Jesus' name, pray, amen. Amen. Okay, well, this morning, I want to, I want us to have a little look at so Christian living and the church, or we could say Christian identity and purpose. And to do that, we're going to have a look together at the book of First Peter. So if you've got Bibles, if you've got your phones, whatever it is, let's turn to the book of First Peter together. Now, before we get into the scripture, I just want to put a bit of context around the book of First Peter. And we learn that the apostle is writing to believers, the Jewish um, converted believers, Gentile believers. But these are believers that have been scattered um, across different countries from the persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And believers were scattered all over different countries. And we learn in the opening of Peter's letter that he's writing to five different communities that have been scattered around under the Roman Empire. And all these communities were suffering persecution for their faith. 
suffering persecution within the Roman Empire. And this wasn't just the physical persecution that we've heard about. This was also social um, persecution, social isolation. They, they, they were just, they, they were ostracized. They were Christians were just were generally avoided. People didn't understand them. They didn't understand. Um, they just didn't understand Christianity. It wasn't seen as a religion. They couldn't understand what is this, this crucified leader and, and a and a resurrected Messiah. What is it all about? They just couldn't understand it. They saw Christians as as going against their their societal and cultural norms as maybe a threat or a rebellion, and they were generally avoided and ostracized. So Peter is writing into this. He's trying to speak into this, and he's writing to the churches to increase their hope, to increase their faith, to increase their strength, to enable them to continue to lead godly lives in the face of temptation, to not be led into temptation, to not react to people how they were reacting to them, them, not to react to this abuse that perhaps they might have done one time. They might have reacted in the same way as people were reacting to them one time. He's exhorting believers and communities to stand strong in their godly lives, stand strong in their faith in Jesus Christ. And one thing Peter does in his book is he begins to remind them, Christians and the churches, of the precious hope they have of eternal life in Jesus Christ their precious hope. And one thing he does is he begins to draw on their identity and their purpose as Christians, as the church, as a community of believers. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Peter 23. He says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And then we go over into in 1 Peter 2. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the full experience of salvation. He says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Remember, Peter is writing to persecute, persecuted churches. The church needs to be strengthened. The church needs to be encouraged. Their faith needs to be stirred. Their faith needs to be built. Sometimes the church and we just need to know who we are in Christ, don't we? Sometimes we just need to be reminded in the face of it all who we are in Christ, our purpose and our identity. Amen. I mean, I love mind-blowing revelation. I love it. I love fresh, new revelation, how God reveals himself in so many 
different ways, but sometimes we just need the basics, don't we? We just need to be reminded. We just need to be strengthened who we are in Christ and what is our purpose. And Peter, he uses this imagery of stones and temples. The message of <laughs> the title of my message this morning is Stones and Temples. Purpose and identity, stones and temples. He's saying, look, in the face of it all, in the face of it all, keep coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple because you now are living stones. And maybe the title of my message is a little bit misleading because Peter doesn't say, you're just stones, you're stones. No, he says, you're living stones, you're living stones. We were, you're alive, you're alive in Christ. Because stones in and of themselves, they're dead, aren't they? They're dead, lifeless, spiritless. But now we have come to Christ. We've been connected to the living cornerstone. We have been made alive in Christ. We were once dead. We were once dead, connected to Adam, connected to sin and death. But now we have come to Christ, the living cornerstone. Now we have been reconnected to the source of life. We've become alive on the inside. Our spirit has become alive on the inside. You're not just stones. You are living stones. Living stones. When you came to Christ, God's spirit indwelt you and you became spiritually alive. The life of Jesus Christ inside of us. Ephesians 2 4 says, But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. Ezekiel points to this in the Old Testament, doesn't he? For, if, for those of us who know the book of Ezekiel, he says, I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove their heart of stone. I will remove their dead heart. And I will replace it with the heart of flesh, with life, the very life of Christ on the inside of us. Amen? Does <laughs> that not make you excited? The very life of Christ is on the inside of us. Who are we? We are a people who have been made alive in Christ. We are a people who have the spirit of God inside of us. We are a people who through God's great mercy have been brought from death to life. And like Jesus Christ, we have been chosen and are precious in God's sight. And you know, sometimes maybe you and I don't, don't realize how when we came to Christ, just how drastically we, our identity was changed. Just how drastically our nature was changed. And maybe we don't really understand that or fully get that. And what, that's why it's so hard for us to, to walk in this godly life consistently in the face of pressures, in the face of stress, in the face of it all, to maintain this godly life. You see, Jesus Christ, when we came to Jesus Christ, he didn't just improve who we were. He completely changed our nature. He completely changed our nature, a radical difference, as different as darkness is to light, as different as Jacob is to Israel, as different as Peter, Simon is to Peter. Come on, as different as death is to life. You have been made alive. 
from death in Christ. You are completely new identity and a completely new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Everything is fresh and new. Have we grabbed onto that? Once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were self-centered, now we can be God-centered. Once we served ourselves, now we can serve others in love. Once we were full of pride, now we're full of the Holy Spirit. And we can be full of humility and grace. Once we may have reacted to people the same way that they react to us, but now with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray for those who persecute us, can't we? We can love our enemies. We can turn the other cheek. We can go the extra mile. We can give our shoes and our cloak. We can love our neighbors because we've been changed. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the life of Christ on the inside of us. We are new creations. We are living stones connected to the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We are spiritually alive in Christ. And I just want us to back up a little bit in First Peter and, and talk about, well, what brought this change? What, bought, what, what, what were the means God used to bring this, this new birth for us? And he says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. The eternal living word of God. You have been born again through the eternal living word of God. It was the living word of God that you received and was planted in you that birthed this new life in you. The life of God. The living and enduring word of God that doesn't only birth this new life, doesn't only give us new life, but it continues to be our source and our sustainer throughout our life, doesn't it? It continues to sustain us. It continues to strengthen us. It continues, um, another translation said, it grows in us to mature and matures in us. It forms and shapes and consolidates this new identity in us so we can walk these strong, godly lives. We can walk a life of holiness God continues to empower us to live the godly life through his word. And it's so important, I think, that we get this because once we leave here, <laughs> once we've heard the word of God uh, and then, then we leave here and we begin to face the pressures of our life, the stresses, the strains, that's all we can see in front of us, we might be tempted to turn to ourselves in those moments as the source. Or we might be tempted to turn to somebody else as the source, to put an expectation on somebody else. It's important we remember who our source is. It's important we remember what sustains us, what strengthens us, where is our source. You know, no wonder we get tired and anxious when we make ourselves the source. No wonder we're filled with anxiety or lose our temper or whatever it is when we're trying to live this life out of our own strength. You know, no wonder our relationships can come under strain and broken when we put an expectation on somebody else that only God can give us. 
to expect someone to give us what only God can give us. And then we get angry at them for not doing that. And they don't even know the expectations we've put on them. We have to make God our source. We have to remember that when we walk out of this door and we begin to live our lives again. The living word of God. And it's this word. It's this implanted in us that nobody or no situation can take away from you. Nobody or no situation can take away from you. You know, some of you may know that during my third pregnancy, when little Lexi came along, our little surprise baby, <laughs> she's still surprising us, isn't she? <laughs> um, but well, I had many, many complications in that pregnancy. And I was, on, yeah, I was in hospital from, from quite early on. I was on strict bed rest. Um, and it was a scary time. It was a scary time for us um, because, as the doctors would say um, um, <laughs> to me quite frequently every day, um, there was a chance that I could bleed to death in three minutes. <laughs> so that was nice to hear that every day, you know. I don't know they're only doing the job. Got to tell people worst case scenario. Um, but there it was. So, so I was at risk of, of bleeding, um, which obviously caused a threat to myself, my own life, and to my baby's life. Um, and worst case scenario, I had three minutes in that situation. So of course, it was a scary time for us, you know. But I remember in the hospital, reading my Bible, and my spirit just grabbed onto Psalm 118, and it was, I will not die, but live to tell what the Lord has done. And that was all I could manage. That was just that one bit of scripture. That's all I could grab hold onto in the face of it. I will not die, but live to tell what the Lord has done. And when the doctors would tell me how quickly I could die, I would just tell this in to myself, no, I will not die. I will live to tell what the Lord has done. It was all I could manage. But I tell you what, in that hospital, in the face of it all, it began to strengthen me. It began to give me hope. It began to, to build and stir my faith. Because worst case scenario did happen. In the hospital room one day, I began to bleed very, very quickly. Turns out doctors were right. <laughs> God bless them. I began to bleed very, very quickly, and chaos broke out in the hospital. There's alarms went off. Doctors and nurses come running from everywhere, shouting orders at each other. Now, I used to be a critical care nurse, so I know exactly what this chaos means in a hospital. It means there's a life on the line. It means there's a life in the balance. And as I lay on my hospital bed, fully aware of what was happening around me and what it meant, unable to help myself, helpless, powerless, nothing else to grab a hold of, nothing else to grab onto, I had one thing to hold onto. I will not die, but live and declare what the Lord has done. I will not die but live to tell what the Lord has done. When everything else is gone, when there is nothing left for you to hold on to, when death is knocking at the door, the word of the Lord will endure forever, forever. And no situation can take that away from you. Because I did wake up. <laughs> And I am alive, and I'm here to tell what the Lord has done. I'm here to tell about his goodness again and again and again all the days of my life. The word of the Lord endures forever. You are his precious chosen living stone with his life inside of you. And it is, it is his life contained in his word that we need as our source and our sustainer. 
that grows us and shapes us and forms us. And Peter encourages his believers in this. And he says that we must cry out for his word. We must cry out for it like, like babies cry out for milk. The Passion Translation puts it this way. You must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. Especially now that you have had a taste of the goodness of Yahweh and have experienced its kindness. He says, come on, abandon all your old ways. That's not you anymore. You're a new creation. Abandon all your old ways and intensely cry out, intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God that's going to build you up into your new identity, into who you are. When was the last time we cried out for God's word in our lives? When was the last time we intensely craved the word of God to build us and grow us and shape us? Have we stopped seeking the truth teller in our lives? Have we stopped seeking the author of life to shape and guide our lives? When did we last cry out to God for his word? If we want to be strong in our new identity in Christ, we need the word of God to become strong in us. Amen? Are we okay? Yeah, you're all still there? You gone home? Still there. That's good. So Peter goes into the purpose, straight into the purpose, because these two are linked. Identity, Christian identity and Christian purpose are not separate things to be studied separately. They're linked. We have a new identity because we have a purpose. They're linked. So he goes straight into this. Um, because as, as believers, we, we have an individual purpose, but we also have a communal, sorry, an individual identity, but we also have a communal identity as well. Our communal identity is the church, right? We come together in community. It's the church. It's our, it's our identity as Christians, and the church has a purpose. And he says, and you are living stones that, is, that God is building into his spiritual temple, into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests through the mediation of Jesus Christ to offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You see, Peter's picture here isn't that we only have an individual identity connected to Jesus Christ, the living cornerstone. We're tied into a communal identity, the church, or as Peter puts it here, God's spiritual temple. God's spiritual temple. We are being built together. The Holy Spirit is drawing us together, is building his church into God's spiritual temple. Wow. When we come together, we are God's spiritual temple. Now, the word temple and the concept of temple might automatically make you think of the um, Old Testament, right? And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. That's exactly what he's getting us to think about us here. He's linking us back in to the Old Testament to, to enhance this understanding and this believing that, um, sorry, linking us back to the Old Testament to enhance our understanding that New Testament believers are now what the nation of Israel was, God's called and chosen people. New Testament believers um, are now a holy, brought together in our holy nation like the nation of Israel was, Right? And like the nation of Israel had a temple, so Christians, New Testament believers, us, we have a temple. There's a temple. And you know, the temple for the nation of Israel was such an important place for them. 
it was such an important mark on their identity. It, it, it kind of framed them um, and made them known as God's people, as God's chosen people. It, it shaped and consolidated their identity as God's chosen people. It was a mark, like circumcision was a mark. It identified the nation of Israel, their God, their God's chosen people. There was circumcision in the temple. The Torah was another one. And the temple was where, we might know, but where God's presence dwelt. God's presence dwelt in the holies of holies, yeah? It's where they could come and they could offer their sacrifice for their sins to the priesthood that functioned there for atonement of their sins and where they could be in the presence of God and God could prepare them then as a people to go back out into their world for their purpose, which was to mediate God to the world. And Peter is saying here, yeah, this still a temple, but it's no longer a, a static, immovable temple built of stone in one place where God's presence just comes and dwells. He said, no, now when we come together as the church, we're the spiritual temple, the living stones connected to Christ. We come together to form the new spiritual temple. This temple is alive. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's not just in one place. When we go back out, we carry the presence of God with us. When we come together as God's spiritual temple, like today, God's presence is dwelling here. God's presence is dwelling in us and with us. Well, we know that Jesus referred to his own body as a temple, didn't he? He said, you tear this temple down, I'll raise it up again in three days. Jesus contained the presence of, of God. He was sinless. In fact, Jesus' crucifixion, we know that the curtain that shielded the Holy of Holies in the, in the temple was torn, torn in half. And that was where the presence of God dwelt. Jesus' crucifixion, the, the, um, the curtain was torn in half. Because the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. One and only sacrifice that is needed for the atonement of our sins was Jesus' blood. That Jesus accomplished what the temple in Jerusalem never could. Jesus made one sacrifice once and for all. And now through his perfect sacrifice, we have been made right before God. We can come into the presence of God because his righteousness has been credited to us. And now God can live in his people, not just with his people. He can live in his people. Now we are the living temples of God. Is this, can you see this? Am I making sense? We are the living spiritual temple of God. With God's presence in us and with us, around us, right now as we're here together. But he says, he also says, well, you serve as holy priests in this temple, and you're offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. So we can offer up sacrifices, but you know, we're to function in the offices of the priesthood and offer up sacrifices and prepare ourselves, prepare one another to go back out and mediate Jesus Christ to the world. But what are these sacrifices? If, if Jesus Christ has made... The one and only sacrifice, uh, I don't see anyone here with lambs and bulls and goats, and that would be weird, wouldn't it? What, was, what are these sacrifices? What are we to offer up here? Well, they're a different kind of sacrifice, and, and Hebrew tells us, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he tells us that. He says, so we no longer, so in light of Jesus Christ, we no longer need to offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus Christ, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. 
steady streams, praise sacrifices. These are the lambs. And we offer from our lips to celebrate his name. Celebrate his name. We will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for others. For these are the true sacrifices that pleases God's heart. Paul in Romans also tells us, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's mercy? What should be our proper response to all of this, what Jesus Christ did for us? I encourage you to offer yourselves to God and to be his living sacrifice and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. If I can get the team up, thanks. What do we come here to offer up in the spiritual temple of God? We come together and we offer our sacrifice of praise to God. We offer our sacrifice of praise. We remember his mercy. We remember that once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we didn't have purpose, now we have purpose. We remember what Jesus Christ did. And we offer our sacrifices of praise. Lord Jesus, we celebrate his name. The beautiful, wonderful, glorious name of Jesus. One sacrifice, one time for the whole world, for you and I. We come, we come to, to prepare ourselves. We come to receive his word, to strengthen us, to build us and grow us, to prepare ourselves to go back out into the world and love people that don't love us back and do good things for people without expecting anything in return. We prepare ourselves for a life of holiness, to go out and show people God, even when they're showing you abuse. You can show people God. You can show people who Jesus Christ is. We come to prepare ourselves. We come to humbly offer ourselves, our lives, on the altar of God, our own lives, a living sacrifice. We come our lives on the altar. We say, God, burn up anything of me that is not of you. God's presence come and, and burn up any of that old stuff that's still inside of me that, that doesn't delight your heart, that pride, that selfishness, that, that anger, that, that, that sense of entitlement, whatever it is, Lord, I put my life here on the altar. Will you come and will you burn it up? Will you burn it up? Like, so we can go back out. We can pure, we can come into the temple, we can purify ourselves, we can allow the Holy Spirit to prune us, and we can go back out into our workplaces, into our homes, into the supermarkets, into the schools, wherever it is God is sending you. And you can show a true reflection of Christ to a lost and broken world. A lost and broken world, like Peter and John said to the poor beggar, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I will give you. I have Jesus Christ. I will give you Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We are his living stones. We are alive in Christ. And together, we are his spiritual temple. I don't know about you, but, you know, I've not come to church to just speak at you guys through a microphone, I've not, I've come, but together with you, we can offer up our 
Christ, we would praise to God. We come together with you. We can say, thank you, Lord. I worship you from my lips. We'll celebrate your holy name. I've come to say, God, prune me, purify me. Take it out. I don't want it. Take it out. myself again on the altar of God so I can know him better I can know who I am better through faith in Jesus Christ and I can show him more purely more accurately to the world around me why don't we stand church thank you Jesus thank you for your presence here in this place We come together as a spiritual temple. Your presence is here, God. You are dwelling here with us. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you. And I just want to offer anybody the chance that hasn't yet connected their life to Jesus Christ. That you feel him drawing you. It's like Holy Spirit. You feel him drawing you. He's been drawing you. It's not coincidence. Holy Spirit, God is at work in his world, not just in this room. He's at work in this world, drawing people back to him. And if you've not yet been connected back to Jesus Christ, you can say this prayer after me, church. Let's say it together if you're online. You can say this prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. You offered the one sacrifice for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. And I look to you as Lord of my life. And I receive your eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to go back into a song in a minute. I just first want to pray, and and you guys choose whatever you want to sing. I know it will be beautiful. Um, And I want to offer this up space up here. Please just come. Come and pray. Let's pray together. Let's worship together. Come and just be in his presence. If you need to give him something, if you need him to burn something up, come and just lay yourself before God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you that you came into our broken world and you died a sinless death for us that we could be made right in God's presence that God's presence could dwell in us, that the Holy Spirit could dwell with us all the days of our lives and empower us and strengthen us and mature us and sustain us. And Lord, in view of this mercy, we offer our lives back to you today, Lord. And we pray less of us and more of you. We pray that we reflect you truly, who you truly are to the world around you, that nobody gets mistaken and everybody can see that you are love. And you love them. And you love this world so much. And you're drawing them into relationship with you. That's our prayer this morning, Father. Less of us and more of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. 